This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay. No, I'm not in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin. I'm at Otago Polytechnic today. And I am joined by Rachel McNamara. Kia ora. Kia ora, Rachel. Rachel, we're asking people about their bubble life. And of course, now we have to explain which bit of their bubble life we're talking about. So mm-hmm. how was your bubble life last year? Oh, well, busy, fair to say. Supporting several schools throughout that last bubble um, and having a small child at home and a husband who teaches. So the short answer is not a lot of sleep, a whole lot of eating rubbish and running from job to job and sometimes actually getting to sit down and turn the telly on. So let's go for the small child. How old's the child? Uh, four slash 14. <laughs> <laughs> As you'll appreciate, she is ready to start school yesterday. And so you weren't trying to do homeschooling, but you were... Oh, no, she definitely, she goes to preschool yeah. during um, the day. She's there for most of the morning. We have a wonderful nanny that supports us at the same time as well, which sounds very flash, actually, doesn't it? But actually, this is the result of not having family in town, is, you know, you have other people to support you when you're working full time. And you are working partly for Capable New Zealand now, but you also have another job for, it's called mm-hmm. Core Education. Education. Yep. And so that's the work you were doing last year, Twas. supporting schools. Yes, Tell me about that. Well, amidst COVID, very different to normally going into schools and supporting teachers. Um, But generally, it's supporting teachers to support their students in whatever form that may take. Sometimes a coaching and mentoring role, sometimes specific curriculum areas, sometimes strategic planning, sometimes technology support. Um, and it just depends on the need of the kura or the need of the individual, um, what I was doing. So during COVID lockdown, a whole lot of how can I get access to things for my kids. Um, and then in the rest of the year, I in a mix of how am I going to support them now we're back in the classroom, as well as how am I going to ensure that they're getting what they need, particularly for the high schools, because that really impacted things like exams and things like that, and where the kids were actually coming back to school, because some kids went and did... Um, work as opposed to coming back to school so all sorts of things is the short answer there so if you asked me on the day what I was doing I never knew. So we've heard from some teachers and people involved in education that some schools basically got away or managed to essentially sort of move their classes online Yeah. and other schools said no no we didn't do that what we did was focus on student-led learning projects yeah. and so on how did you see the, the sort of the, the breakdown of that kind of, you know, what the focus was during the lockdown? Well, I guess people thought at it from different angles right from the very start. Some people saw it as I've got to maintain what I was doing in the classroom, which honestly, impossible. 
And other people went, well, what do my kids and my families and my own family need in all of this? And some very skilled principals in amongst that said, okay, so how do we try and meet both of those things in the middle and what technology is needed and what supports will be needed? I think this year's difference was that immediacy of what happened meant that even though some people knew from last year's learnings how they were going to approach it, they may not have had equipment with them that they needed because they were already home before the lockdown was announced. So that threw a different cat amongst the pigeons, so to speak, for this year's lockdown. Um, But coming back into school afterwards, the thing that really hit me was that people were prone to going straight back to what they were doing pre-lockdown and not necessarily building on those learnings and those um, relationship changes that they had when they were at home. And so part of what I saw my role to be was how can we keep those good bits that you were growing when you were at home, connecting with the kids in your class and your peers and your colleagues? Because for me, it's not just about the kids that were in front of them. It was about, okay, and how would we build the culture now post lockdown? So yeah, I saw my role as um, asking the questions that people might not have asked themselves, helping people see perspectives. Do you think that the kids wanted to go back to just what they were doing before or had they been shown a, a bit of a light of a, a better way? <laughs> that depends way. on the age and stage of some of the kids too. Um, but yes, I guess it's really strongly influenced by their parents when they came back. Some parents were like, get out, go back to your classroom, <laughs> I've had enough. And some kids saw that as an opportunity to come back and actually just find some normality and what they decided normal was might be a little bit different to the teachers. Um, some very wise people out here um, actually had that conversation when they came in with their kids and said, so what did you enjoy about being at home and how do we carry that on? Um, and they were the people that gave the kids that opportunity to have a say. Um, some kids came back and went, what has happened and how has it hit me? And I know, again, particularly in the high schools now, um, there was a lot of um, mental health needs that were needing to be catered for, not just because they were freaking out about exams and what does that mean, but because um, they'd spent a lot of time in their wee bubble, consumed with whatever was going on in their heads and with their families, and then to be popped back in the classroom, and suddenly I've got to focus on exams, and NCEA caused a lot of mental health stuff to happen. Did the schools basically sacrifice the first week to let's just get these kids? Oh, absolutely. They haven't seen anyone for, for all this time. Let's just let them get together again. Totally. Yep, absolutely. And in fact, a lot of them did it for longer than a week, um, particularly if you've only got children for a period and then you've got to pass them on to someone else. That's not enough. You need to give them longer than that. Whereas um, ECE and primary schools, they could afford a little bit more time and there was a lot of people who probably expected reading books to come home and wondered why they didn't. But, you know, teachers were all doing the same thing, having the same conversation. I just need to get these kids in front of me and teach them that it's okay to be back because there was a fear of coming back to schools because they might get breathed on. And from a kid perspective, when all you've heard on the news is traumatic things, you can see why lots of them had a little freak out. Lots of germaphobes out there when they came back into the classroom, and understandably so, because they can't process what the parents were processing. Do you think that there will be a fingerprint of this time on the education of those kids, depending on what stage of learning they're at. Yeah. You know, when, when, these, when these people are in their 20s, mm. will you be able to tell from their sort of learning pathway that they had this, hopefully two years and no more, of disruption <laughs> in well, their education? There's the question, I guess. Um, 
definitely, if you look at it like when I was five, I couldn't actually start school. And that's got to have an impact on a kid, right? They didn't get what they considered to be a normal start if their parents had discussed it with them. Um, the older kids, I think it's probably more those kids who knew what normal school was for a couple of years. I think for them, they'll be impacted by this. And to acknowledge too that, you know, they say this is the second lockdown's happened now and all of that kind of stuff. We're still in a funny place. The kids have still got lots of questions, as everyone does, but not necessarily the ability to process that. So I think it can only have impacts, but not necessarily all negative impacts. You know, lots of these kids are learning to ask questions and their parents don't know the answers, and that's great. Because uh, for lots of kids, they're worried about coming to school and assuming they won't have the right answer. For them to see that their teachers and their parents don't have the right answers, I reckon that's awesome learning. That we're all in the same waka together, so to speak. I was just just written down uncertainty and was about to ask you that. So that, that's perfect. How are we preparing kids or how are kids coping with that uncertainty? And the fact, not so much the uncertainty of we don't know when school is going to be going back, but mm. we don't really know where this is heading. Yeah. And those are big questions that we can't answer. Totally. Yeah. And I think the key there is communicating that to the kids, right? So if the parents don't have conversations and if the teachers don't have conversations, the kids will make it up in their heads. That's just natural. They've done it for sex ed all these years. Um, and so we're learning from that now that we have open discussions about things with them. Um, but some people also know their kids best and they know that they shouldn't fill them with too many questions that lead to things that just can only lead to traumatic situations. So it's finding that balance in there and, and teachers and kids know their, yeah, sorry, teachers and parents know their kids best. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Elton John, I'm Still Standing. Why this one? <laughs> because that's how I feel today. Um, just a little bit busy and a bit tired, and it's that time of year. Um, and I help organise ukulele jam for 1,200 kids in Dunedin. And this was going to be a teacher item. We were going to make the teachers all dress up in some form of Elton John because they love the kids love it when teachers make a bit of a fool of themselves. And so we were going to have them do this. Plus, in the band, it's one of my favourite songs to play as well.
into not just teaching but helping schools with with what they want to do i mean it, it, it you think it'll be easier just to stay teaching in with your own classroom <laughs> mm, maybe what, <laughs> what took you in that direction um a series of opportunities i guess never one to say no to anything um coming out of the classroom was basically because i had my child and I had been um, in leadership roles across primary schools for quite a while and done ICT facilitation across several schools. Um, and if I'm being honest, having a child seemed like a bit of a break, but so <laughs> not. <laughs> Chaos ensues. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up um, working in adult education just because the opportunity arose. Having conversations with people and having done little tidbits of adult education prior to that and then studying what adult education actually involved for my masters um and so yeah i found myself in this space but the good thing i've had up until now too is constant contact with kids still so that's always the bit that got me into teaching was that having that bucket field and knowing that i was helping helping kids now i just see it as helping adults to help their kids as well um but I guess, you know, the next opportunity always comes along and you look at it and think, is it an opportunity or is it going to be some sort of barrier? And I guess, I don't know, maybe it's a rose-tinted glasses. I tend to see things as opportunities. So the, how does core education work? You're educating the teachers, supporting the teachers? Supporting the teachers to help educate each other and themselves, I guess is the way I look at it. Um, I like I said before I ask those questions that maybe they haven't thought to ask themselves and so a lot of the background that you have when you come to facilitating in core is um, communication yeah whatever form you come in so I technically I guess came in to support with digital fluency and then um, now spend a lot of time talking about cultural capability because that was a need of many of the places that I was in and it was an area that I was extremely willing to develop in as well does that cultural capability extend to? I'm, I'm trying to get to. Is there a is there a COVID education for cultural capability? Yeah. What's the what's the overlap Ooh, between those two? Good and question. I, and I'm thinking. What I'm thinking about is that the, the protesters at the weekend mm. making the link between sovereignty and mm. and anti-vax essentially. Yeah. 
have we gone wrong somewhere in the that, that cultural competency that somehow we're building it up to stuff that perhaps people hadn't intended? Well, it's definitely a possibility. For me, my perspective on it is you don't know what you don't know and when you do know a little bit better, you have to do better. So that's the way I look at it. So for me, I see it as we there have been things that have happened in the past and there's learnings to be had from it on every side, from every perspective. And it's about asking the questions about why things happened the way they did and how we can impact on change now positively. So I guess for me, when we're talking about the protesters making that link to sovereignty, you you can see it as a positive thing that you know we're now asking the hard questions. It's just about are you getting your information from reliable and many sources, um, so that we have sound understanding and where are those sources coming from? Um, so from my perspective, when I start talking about um, cultural capability in the schools, so to speak. Um, we do talk about sovereignty, um, and we talk. We like to talk about that at what I guess we call it kids speak. You know, if you can put it into words that the kids would understand, it makes it better and easier to understand. Um, and so, when I'm talking about cultural capability, I'm talking about the impacts of the past and what can we do now to make our kids more aware and um, acting positively person who you will remember their name and I have just forgotten, the Secretary of Education. Iona Halstead. Thank you. <laughs> she said at the start of the pandemic that a pandemic doesn't cause inequities, it reveals yeah. them. And I think people have now extended that to it also exacerbates them. Yeah. Mm. Are we seeing that played out? Yeah, definitely. So, for example, when I was going around schools and supporting it in the first lockdown, how can we help you? Um, some of my schools wasn't about reading, it wasn't about writing, it was about have these kids got enough food, have they got enough clothes? You know, and that just goes to show if you've got schools that are doing that versus kids that are trying to put packs of photocopying together for the kids to have something to do for that first few weeks, um, that there are definite inequities in the system. Um, in every system, not just the education system, let me quantify that too, but also that we have to give credit to our teachers for having an awareness of what the priority needed to be there. And what could they do about that? Because an individual teacher mm. can't fix that. Oh, no, absolutely not. And some of these kids were coming to school to get food. You know, that's their lunchtime food is supplied in some of these schools. You know, they might need an extra jersey at home because the power's off during that time, whatever it's going to be. Um, the teachers can only do what they can within their system. And especially in a lockdown, there's, it was all about what could happen beforehand and then constantly trying to keep those communications open. But if you've got a family that's got one cell phone and during COVID time it got cut off because they couldn't afford to pay it or they couldn't get to somewhere to pay it, it's really hard to communicate with people, right? Versus we've got six laptops in our house and we've only got one kid. Which one do you want today, sweetie? Mm. That's, that just is very... And that's just a talking about a technology. That's not talking about access to health, the health nurse counsellor to talk about things you know that's stuff that schools just provide now as a right mm. I suppose it shows how important the education has become as that place to pull together all of those systems because then when yeah during the COVID that got pulled out it really did expose totally it also shows that you don't just enroll a child you enroll their family and I think that's something that not everyone sees as a perspective. When you come in and you're looking at schools, you're thinking about what's right for your kid. 
and lots of people will think about what's right for their family, but that's not always the way um, society sees it. They see you dropping your kid off at the gate and picking them up again at three o'clock. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making things better. Thank you. Now I know for us all over the last almost two years now we've had to deal with so many new things coming into our lives, into our consciousness. We are in the midst of a global pandemic and of course as part of this we've had to really change so much about how we do BC feel as human beings and as much as this has been very hard and very troublesome and, and tiring and and tricky for all of us. I also feel very grateful for it. I think it's an opportunity for us to really take a step back and look at how we do things and and change that and look at how we have been perceiving all aspects of our life and and think about how we want to re-perceive and and see things and do and be and see and feel anew in new ways. And of course, one of the things about being alive, which is quite fantastic, is that we are in charge of our experience. And when something comes along that reminds us of that, that is positive. Even if on a, on a larger scale, it has been very hard, we can be reminded of our own power and our own agency. So for me at the moment, I'm appreciating that with each new day when the, when the sun rises and I can hear the birds singing outside my window, I'm so lucky. All these beautiful birds are singing and they've all been born here. Some of their ancestors came from far away, the other side of the world, brought here by people. They're non-native birds, but they have a beautiful song. Some of them have evolved here independently and their ancestors have been here for a long time, millions of years, and they've evolved their songs here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. They have a beautiful, they have beautiful, beautiful songs, and some of them have two voice boxes, a voice box for each lung, like the tui and the bellbird. So all of these, all of these beautiful songs greet me in the morning, and of course, in in many ways, they're reminding me that. I have my own song to sing and I have my own voice to use as I see fit. And their songs celebrate a new day. How beautiful. And their songs are also sharing information about where they are and who they are, where they live and what they're, what they're focusing their attention on at the moment. And at this time of year, a lot of that's about breeding and you know, love and, and territory and making babies and having a sense of self that involves other birds. So it's a wonderful time. And of course, this reminds me of, of all of us, what we're doing 
in just the same way. So I really hope that for you at the moment, you're able to share your song, you're able to use your voice, and you're able to appreciate that every day you can start anew, you, you are in charge, and you can make things the way you want throughout your day, using your voice, using your song, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Rachel McNamara. Rachel, you're talking about making a positive impact, and we were talking about some pretty challenging things that kids are facing and teachers and, and the families are facing. Mm. How do you maintain a positive mindset? What does that positive impact mean for you? There's two questions in there. Sorry. <laughs> let's go with the let's go with the mindset one first. How do you maintain a positive mindset? Oh, now that's a really hard question. Um, I guess there's a few things. It's about who you surround yourself with, right? Um, and so for me, if I'm having a moment of, oh, God, that was just so draining, I'd go to the person that's going to fill that bucket back up. Um, but the other side of it is getting up and carrying on, right? If, if you, in the role that you're in, when you have an impact on influencing others, have the wrong mindset going in, you need to give yourself the self-talk. And that's what my car's for and that's what my music is for. So if I'm on a long drive and I'm preparing myself for an interesting conversation, I do have certain songs that I'll play and I wear certain colours to pump me up and that's all part of that mindset thing. You're wearing black today. Is that no, I know. Is that a good sign or a <laughs> yeah, bad no, sign? Yeah. <laughs> Only because it's cold outside and I've got my puffer on, that's all that is. It's like the Dunedin teacher's uniform. <laughs> You haven't got jandals on. No, no, absolutely not. I don't. You... Shorts, jandals, and a puffer jacket. <laughs> the maybe the Dunedin student uniform. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the second part of that was, what does positive impact look like for you? Um, seeing incremental change. Big, I guess for me, it's helping people, like I've said, talk about different perspectives. And if I can see incremental change where they're acknowledging other people's perspectives or different ways of thinking, different ways of doing things then I count that all as positive. Um, sometimes if it leads them down a path where they learn not to do something, I still see that as positive because we have to learn from our failures as well. And sometimes our biggest learnings are from the whoops that we had, but it's from the acknowledgement of the whoops and not doing the whoops again. It's an important, you talk about incremental change and I think we want to be also going for system change because yep. incremental change just makes little changes. Yeah. Maybe the question is then, do, do those incremental changes add up to a big change or do we also need to be looking for those system changes? Yeah, definitely both. For me, I focus on incremental changes because that to me is sustainable change. When things happen fast, that's when I notice things can go awry. But absolutely, we have to work within the system that we're in, but it takes a lot of people to make system change. And I'm happy to be a disruptor. I've got no problem going in somewhere and asking the hard questions and then going, right, see you guys later. <laughs> Not a problem. Because it's opening the eyes and that's what it's all about. Um, but systems take longer than individuals and mindsets, I think. And so for me, that's why I focus on incremental change. I think if I focused on big changes all the time, I'd be quite depressed. Because you know, you'll appreciate the education system is archaic and institutionalised and industrial. <laughs> <laughs> and so if I focused on systems... Then rather than the people, then I'd get a little bit um, slow of heart. Whereas for me, it's all about the people. Mm. You're also working at Capable now. Yep. How's that shift been? Great. The people are always so kind, and I love the variety 
that comes with this job. Um, and of course, it's another case of you don't always know what you're signing up for. And that's <laughs> half the entertainment for me as well. Entertainment and opportunity. That's what it's about. So I find myself asking more questions than knowing answers. And while for some people that might be daunting and um, something to be feared, that's where I'm sitting in my entertainment space because I like to ask lots of questions and I'm comfortable knowing a whole lot of nothing at the start so that um, I can fill my bucket again slowly and incrementally and then help others that way. Definitely systems are an entertaining process when you get into the tertiary level. That's a good um, rule of thumb for life, looking for things that are, looking for jobs that are entertaining and provide opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I must have to come with a saying yes. I guess it does, yeah, I guess it does. You have to take those opportunities. You do, you certainly do. And you have to have the time and the headspace to take those opportunities. And sometimes that's where I've fallen down. I'm like, yeah, let's get in there, let's do everything. And then... The reality is you just get sick. <laughs> <laughs> so what work are you doing for Capable? Uh, working in the Masters of Professional Practice space and working in Bachelor of Management space and working in Bachelor of Leadership for Change space. That sounds fun. It is. A whole lot of different cans of worms in every space and a whole lot of systems and processes to learn too. But again, it's all about the people. And each um, area is just ever so slightly different and that's always good too. I wouldn't want to be doing one thing and be um i guess pigeonholed into that's what rach does for me it's all about the changes all the time mm. so you're working with kids with people teaching kids and with people old older people in their professional practices across a range a mm -hmm. whole range of things do the same principles work yes yes but i'm not putting an exclamation mark on that yet um <laughs> Yes, I'm going to say yes to that in that it's all about people and people all need time and they all need to have that emotional and um, bucket-filling relationship. Um, I guess the other side of it, no, because when the feet size change, um, so does the time frames, so does the um, ability to concentrate, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Although, you know, if you look at it and they say an adult can only concentrate for seven to ten minutes, I can definitely see that. I've already jiggled on my seat a few times and I know you have too, you know, all of those little things are all the noticings that I spend all my time doing is, um, I guess it's noticing the similarities and the differences in the role, but it's the similarities that mean I can do that because otherwise you'd be just constantly changing in your mind, you know, changing what you have to do with people. That's quite a scary thought if you think about it from ECE right through to tertiary. Education is education. It's all about learning and willingness. Mm. Let's take the second of your music choices. Uh, I've lost what it is. No, there it is, 660, uh, Peppy Heart. Why mm -hmm. this one? Uh, at the moment, it's on my mind. My, sister, my daughter sings it when she's on the toilet. It's her toilet song. Um, but also, it's actually a really cool song. It's a bit of a deviation for them from their normal sound, and I admire that musically. Um, but also, it's one of those songs that I think has a really nice, clear message, and it's a little bit of where I am at the moment in my heart about prioritising um, the people around you and deciding where you actually are and who you want to be. Oh, 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 
song <laughs> <laughs> well she's got a few others but i'm sure you don't need to hear them <laughs> or haven't demonstrated no we have seen lots of changes in society in the last couple of years what do you think is going to stick and perhaps more importantly what do you hope will stick oh that's a big question i could have done with some warning for that one um what do i hope will stick the focus on people obviously that's always my um want is, you know, I hear all the things that are being said um, from the government and things out at the moment as well with all of these things. And what I hear in the messages is, you know, let's just be kind to each other. Let's share what we've got, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That's the bit I hope sticks. Where we're at at the moment, I think things could become quite divisive. And that's the worry for me, is seeing how things can be used to divide people. Um, So what I hope sticks is people's willingness to hear the positivity and messages that come and not be too um, swept up in what happens on social media. I kind of turned that into the negative, actually, there. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I gave you the antithesis of your answer. (laughs) Over your question, sorry. Why do you think the Be Kind message was so successful? I think that's what people needed to hear a lot at the time. Um, And I think it's fallen off a wee bit possibly in the last wee while, just because people are stuck and and have been stuck for such a long time with COVID. Um, I think also it wasn't even just COVID timing. I think here, seeing ourselves compared with the rest of the world and things that were going on, we needed some positivity. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the bigger things that we that we face, things that we can't 
fixed by staying home for a few weeks. <laughs> I'm thinking things like climate change, biodiversity, social justice in the, in the bigger picture. Mm. Do you think are there any lessons in that for us? Communication is the obvious thing that jumps to mind there. Um, and when I say communication, not one-sided communication. I know that we get these one o'clock announcements and you can see that as one-sided communication. But what it does is it opens up people to have conversations around the cooler, um, have conversations when you're sitting across the bar, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it, people starting to ask questions that are bigger than what actually impacts just me. That's the key there for me. What's your plan for summer? <laughs> no, that's a really good question. Um, music is the one of my plans for the summer because it's a little bit hard to do that at the moment with so many jobs and so many other things to do. Um, and actually just time with family, just actually getting to slow down for a while, not get sick, um, to just sit around and hopefully enjoy some dunner stunners. Really, that's what it's about. Um, I think too, the other thing that I'm really looking forward to doing is just spending time with friends. Because if, with all of these lockdowns and things like that, you connect with people and you do it through a screen. I would love to see some people face to face. When you say music, you're playing music? Yes. What sort yeah. of music? Um, I am in a band at the moment who we just play pub songs, essentially. So, so sing-along songs. So there's a few events coming up. But for me, it's just getting with people who are like-minded and blowing out some energy. So I love to get behind the drums when I'm having a an interesting day and just um, get that energy burst out but I can get it from any instrument as well so whether it's guitar or bass or singing whatever it's going to be for me that's my um, energy release and school ukulele yes because that's so much better than the recorder yes <laughs> yes do you know all of these years I've taught music and I have managed never to teach the recorder because ukuleles came along, I was like, oh, thank goodness for that. So if you're looking to see any ukulele stuff, it's all online. Really easy to play. And my daughter has had one since before she was born, and she can play C, and that's all you need. Because there's Teddy Bear's picnic. All done, wrapped up in one song. <laughs> I have some questions to end the show. Okay. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Couple being two? Yeah. Mm. Um... Keeping my daughter happy and my family running along quite nicely and not having my wheels fall off. I think I'm going to answer that with. She's a happy wee thing and she runs around like a pocket rocket. So what more could you ask for? We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. Mm -hmm. You're in that team? I hope so. <laughs> What's the superpower that got you into the mansion? Um, I'm going to come back to I've done recently a VIA strengths test. And one of my very top strengths is humour, as in not um, having to be the funny guy in the class, the class clown or anything like that, but just in being able to find and provide humour when people need it and when I need it. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I would say a disruptor, because I don't necessarily, I think there's a negative connotation comes with the word activist. Um, but for me, I'm happy to open a can of worms and then walk away from it and come back later. Um, activist means I've got to have a lot more time to towards that. And I will, if someone needs me, I'll always keep coming back to that can of worms. That's not a problem. So what motivates you? Um, people. Communication. Um, having a good laugh <laughs> with people. Um, but having, having the hard conversations at the right time.
it's got the key there is at the right time because sometimes we're bogged down and we're not ready to have those conversations. We're heading back to something that might be business as usual, might be a new normal. What do you think we're heading for? What are you hoping for? Oh, well, that's a really good question. I don't know what normal is. I don't think I've ever known what normal <laughs> is because normal changes all the time. Um, for new normal, I would hope that new normal means that we can actually have a lot more um, travel back. Um, and not because not I'm desperate to travel. That's not for me what it's about. But I'm aware there's so many people around me that are missing connections because that travel's not there anymore. So travel with provisos. I'm doing inverted commas with my fingers at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that works for the radio. Yeah. <laughs> so what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Um, I'm thinking about doing a lot more research, a lot more study. So that's one of mine. And, and there are... In the context of how I can manage this. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Keep listening to the podcast. So how's that? <laughs> That's a pretty good one. I like that one. <laughs> Rachel, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me.
music is good and music is right and music can stand strong right through the night and music can hold you music can keep you safe from harm in her beautiful arms music is you This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.